Flo, what did you learn about burrs in dental school? Now that I think about it, nothing at all. Exactly the same. Surprising, eh? But I found a solution. Paul at Crown Dental Burrs takes care of everything burrow-related. Ah, that explains why the burrs at the practice are so good. I love that I've always got the same high-quality burrs neatly organised in my burr boxes, always ready for action. The box even has my name on it. That's the rotor system for you. They're also numbered so your nurse knows which one to hand you and restocking and reordering is easy. This must be pricey. It's surprisingly reasonable. Plus, Paul's burrs last longer, so it's a no-brainer. Crown Dental Burrs is the way to go. Why did you invest in the Navident Dynamic Navigation System? I really believe this is the future. It offers unbelievable accuracy and flexibility for us and our patients. I think it's only as good as the support, and we are so lucky that Rob provided the training and ongoing support that he has. Definitely. I spoke to his other customers before we went ahead, and they said he was exactly the same with them. Be it CBCT or digital radiography hardware or software, the dental imaging company is incredible. That explains why they are the authorised dealers for so many brands, such as Carestream, Marita, Der Dental, and more. Greetings dental professionals and enthusiasts. I'm Flo, a recent addition to the field, eager to absorb knowledge and advance in my career. And I'm Ali, a seasoned dentist with diverse experience from implants to lecturing to practice ownership and beyond. Welcome to Pearls, two generations in dentistry, where we explore the depth of dental expertise. Join us for insightful discussions, stories, case studies, and a touch of dental humor. Whether you're a seasoned practitioner or navigating the early years of practice, this podcast is a space where knowledge is passed down and shared. Pearls, two generations in dentistry, your source for dental pearls of wisdom. So Ali, how has your week been? It's been a great week. We were closed um, for this week, so I've had more family time spending time with my daughter which has been really nice uh, away from the focuses of running the practice and I've been doing bits and pieces and what's interesting I met with uh, Abdul Osman who's based up in Coventry Um, he's head of the implant program at the College of Medicine and Dentistry and we're looking at putting a course together this year so that's pretty exciting look out for that and it's probably going to be something to do with implants, obviously. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm excited because the ideas were really good. So more to follow. We met in Cheltenham and I used to work in Cheltenham and the traffic and the parking was a nightmare. So I think we agreed that next time we're going to meet halfway in a market town, uh, maybe Hereford, where everything's a little bit easier. And uh, I also, which uh, many dentists over the Christmas period will be familiar with, had to come in to see a patient of ours who had a large bone graft and couldn't get her denture in. And it was interesting because it just needed a bit of easing, but the titanium membrane was interfering with the the fit of the denture. And so uh, the titanium membrane that we used to secure the graft. So um, it was a little bit stressful when you get that phone call from a patient and you you 
go to worst case scenario in your head and it turned out to be absolutely fine something really easy to deal with mm-hmm. um so that's been my week how's how's your week been it's been good but so you actually picked up a denture burr to adjust a denture did you ali i'm ashamed <laughs> to say i phoned aston and i said aston um i'm gonna adjust this denture because aston had actually made the denture in anticipation for the swelling and the fact that we were grafting so that it was a chrome denture that was tooth borne because you don't want to lean on the graft you're going to cause resorption of it and so this was made a while ago before the teeth were even extracted and I said Aston I think I'm going to have to adjust the metal framework because that was worst case in mm. my head and Aston gave me a lowdown a master class in adjusting dentures again and I came in half an hour before the patient was here I set up all this stuff and all I had to do was adjust the acrylic and I know that if you were there I'd have said Flo please can you help me with this I'm sure it was the best adjusted acrylic that's ever been adjusted um, my week I had a couple of emergency appointments I had yeah a paediatric sort of emergency appointment um, which I always find quite in- well I find the paediatrics privately quite interesting in the UK why Just- is that? Well, I think because you've got this free NHS service for children um, that actually is quite good at dealing with a lot of things. So I I do find it more... You see, I think, a lot less of private paediatrics, but I think it probably is the way that more and more dentistry is going to go with the stress that's on the NHS system. What were the circumstances of this particular patient? They, they'd never seen, never seen a dentist before, um, so they didn't have anywhere else to go um they'd noticed some some holes in, in the teeth there wasn't actually any pain so it wasn't so much for an emergency which is actually kind of one of the quite nice ways i think to deal to deal with kids is that you can start then sort of building that rapport and we came up with a plan sort of to do things very step by step sort of get them used to the whole dental experience before he's inevitably we're yeah we're inevitably going to need to do some some bigger bits of dentistry um, but yeah, I always find it really stressful treating kids because it's such a responsibility to acclimatize them essentially. Mm-hmm. But I think I had a really horrible dentist when I was really little, mm-hmm. and I remember lots of things hurting. And I had, yeah, it wasn't a very nice experience. And actually, I had an awesome dentist afterwards, which is why I wanted to be a dentist. Wow. Yeah, really cool guy, actually. Um, I, he might be coming to the uh, Southern Implants Conference in, in April in South Africa. And it would be really cool to hang out with him as a dentist because I did my work experience there and I really uh, I felt very inspired by him. But the point I was making is that that first dentist had such an influence on me that I feel that um, responsibility when I'm treating children. Mm-hmm. And I find that incredibly stressful. So well done to you and to anyone who is treating children. Yeah. I uh, I didn't have the same dentist at all growing up. So I was at the same practice my whole life, but it was always a different different dentist that we saw. Did that make any difference? I loved going to the dentist, but I think I was just weird. <laughs> so, Did you ever have any work done to your no. teeth? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> it was yeah. just like, oh yeah, they look great. Woo-hoo. It was just a day out for you, like when um, <laughs> retired people come to the dentist, it's an yeah. outing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> no, I loved it. So... Um, but yeah, I did some work experience there as well. I did quite a lot of work experience actually. We could do we could do an episode in the future maybe on work experience because I do think it's a very fascinating top well subject as to why why it's sort of needed there. But um, but yes, 
takes us on to actually what today's episode is about, which we're going to talk about dental courses. So I thought we sort of start by, they are sort of a necessity, as said by the GDC. We've got 100 hours of CPD that has to be completed over five years, 10 hours minimum a year in that cycle. Um, have you submitted your, and we always get this wrong, is it ARF? Is that what it's called? Yes. <laughs> the ARF is the annual retention fee. Yes, yeah. And then your declaration this, that yes, goes with, with it. it. Yeah. 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 That, that right time of year. Um, yeah, have you done yours? Yeah, I have. Yeah. I, I just don't think that this is something worth doing last minute. I think it's the same as the people who try and make their GDC payment last minute. Mm-hmm. You're not sticking it to the man. You're just at risk of being deregistered, which once you know someone who's been through that process, it's yeah. Mm. Yeah. Get it done early. If you, you, you must have completed a five year cycle. Yeah. So my, my first, uh, my, I qualified 2012. So, um, my first cycle I submitted in, in 2017 mm-hmm. and I was audited. Oh gosh. Yeah. So what did that entail? Um, I had a letter from the GDC asking me to send proof of all my CPD. And what's interesting is at the time I was working in hospital and in practice. So I was working in, I was teaching and doing research in Bristol. And what that meant was I was getting a lot of CPD. Mm-hmm. I was always at talks or events. I was doing a lot of courses in practice. We were running evenings as well. And I think I got chosen for auditing because I was an outlier. I had a mm-hmm. huge amount of CPD. Mm-hmm. And it was massively stressful, just just because of the 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 scale of the of the work to do to put it all together, but also the p- possible consequences. It's always worrying dealing mm-hmm. with the GDC. And um, I had taken photos on an old CPD platform and had all my certificates there because I'm terrible with paper anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad I did um, because it was all there. And that really made me think about what a what an essential service it is to have somewhere to keep this all digitally because now in my first cycle there was non-verifiable cpd that you had to declare that's gone now um but also we have to have a personal development plan now mm-hmm. and i very quickly moved I, I realized paper isn't the way to go and i don't know what you're using but i use tubules for oh, fantastic yeah so um i you know i don't have any um allegiance with tubules but i think drew is awesome and i think the charity work that the organization does is amazing but actually i think what they do professionally is incredible so you've got the platform you can make your personal development plan you can do cpd on a huge range of topics it will keep your certificates but if you do any cpd outside of tubules you can upload it onto there and it keeps it all per year with reflections everything as it should be so that if you do get audited, you can just click a button. Because do you know how long you have to keep your CPD certificates for? I'm going to assume 10 years. Yeah, that's a good, was that a guess? Yes, I'm just thinking of GDPR. Well, you know more than I do then, because I was surprised to find out it is 10 years. Oh, it's, well, it is 10 years technically, because you can be audited up to five years after you submit. Mm-hmm. And you might have done that CPD in year one of the cycle. So yeah, t- yeah, up to 10 years. I can't keep paper for that long. I can't keep track of anything for that long. Mm. Um, so I must yeah. admit, mine is currently a nice little folder, <laughs> like a, a physical, a physical clippy folder. <laughs> the beauty of that is that the GDC want um, paper copies, and 
it's not very nice to print that much paper again. I'm sure you'll <laughs> agree. Um, no, but it's important because uh, if you if you can be organized and keep it all in a folder, great. Because I actually had to print all of them out again mm-hmm. and then courier that folder to the GDC. Wow. And there's not you know when they ask you how much is this folder worth. Mm. When you go to the post office, how do you put a value on that? Your whole career. It's worth my whole career. That's also the problem if you only have one copy. Mm-hmm. So I would suggest that if anyone is being audited and you're sending in the originals, take a picture or a scan of each one because mm-hmm. if that gets lost, that can't be replaced. Yeah. I do quite like that lots of places now will send you that email copy just because it's then always there. Like I, I do love that. But what you want to do, I mean, I know it's obvious, but you want to index this at the time you receive it and not have to go hunting for all of these things. Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I do have a little, I have a little folder on my computer of the, the digital ones and then a physical, a Pretty, physical yeah. file. Um, but actually, I should, should go through that at some point soon. Um, but in terms of dental courses, you've got different types sort of courses that you can do you've got the 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 day courses you've got um mscs mclindents pg certs pg diplomas um i thought i'd just do a little sort of rundown of the difference between them all please so you've got um an msc so that's a a master's and it's a postgraduate qualification it typically does require a thesis in your final year there are a couple that don't but i think the majority of them do um it's designed to give you that in-depth knowledge um it can be done online or in person um and depending whether it's online in person depends then the time frame whether it's sort of 12 months or 24 months sometimes even a little bit longer you've done a master's i've done a master's was yours in person online i did mine as a distance learning okay because actually so this is the interesting thing there is no right way it depends what you need i i did mine fairly recently and i'm really glad i waited to do my masters at this point because i got so much more out of it but what i didn't need i didn't need patient contact i have patient contact at the practice every day Mm -hmm. um i wanted the theoretical knowledge and i wanted the flexibility i've got a young family got a practice to run i don't want to be taking time away from all this i need to do it in my own time so mine was a distance learning msc fantastic and sort of the downside with the masters is the price point um for quite a lot of people um if you don't sort of have that financial ability the sort of the things that people then start looking at are the pg diplomas and the pg certs so pg diploma is a shorter vocational postgraduate degree um, in some area, sort of a specific area of dentistry or medicine, it um, doesn't contain sort of that thesis. Um, and yeah, a little bit cheaper. Again, though, the time frame it's between sort of 12 and 24 months. Some are online, some are in, in person. I've signed up to a PG diploma in Perio. Exciting. So um, it should be starting next next year so 2025 and then a pg cert that sort of smaller um still provides some of that master's level training in a specific area um but it's half the time of a pg diploma um it's sort of ideal for people who are just they're sort of dipping their toe into something or maybe they just want that little bit more in-depth um knowledge before having to say yes i want to complete a dissertation on this um 
again a little bit financially cheaper as well the depending where you go lots of them sometimes you can start as a pg cert and then you can say actually i really enjoyed this i want to then do a bit more to make it pg diploma or right actually i love this let's do another year let's make it a master's um so that's sort of the big differences do you want to talk about Enkel and Dent at all? Well, yeah, in a, I, I was just going to say about um, the certificate versus diploma versus master's. Um, the way I understood it, and before before I did mine and saw that there's so much choice and structure in different courses, I found a simplified way to think about it that was really useful, which I was always told by my mentors a long time ago. The certificate is the first year. It, you'll get some teaching maybe not assessed, maybe not build skills, but maybe gather some knowledge. Mm-hmm. Then the second year is the diploma. And if you think of each of these years as costing the same, then essentially a master's is three times the price of a certificate. Mm-hmm. The second year is the diploma. And that's where the assessments will mean that you have a pretty strong knowledge base, maybe some skills because they might build in some hands-on at that stage, again, depending on the course. But the masters, the only difference is doing the dissertation. Now, mm-hmm. you can think of it as a really expensive essay to write, but you can also think of it as once you've put in all the work of first and second year, it's actually the easiest step to take. And it's a totally different skill. That's why a master's is required if you want a teaching position, because mm-hmm. it teaches you how to research, evaluate. Um, it's I think it's really important skills for, for clinicians. So, um, yeah, I think... I think basically my take on it is if you're going to do one, and I've said this before, you may as well go the whole hog. When you do it is what is different. because And this kind of touches on the question you just asked me about implant dents. That kind of brings us to the topic of, of specialization in dentistry. Mm-hmm. So to be a specialist in this country, you have to be on the specialist register with the GDC. Um, there are other ways to get onto the register, but really what you have to do is you have to pass your specialist exams. And not anyone can take those exams. You need a number that's assigned to you to have access to the exams. And there's two ways, as far as I know, to get that number. You either go through specialist training, which is a hospital job. It's a number of years. You are paid for it, but it's your full-time job normally. Mm-hmm. Or you do an M-Clendent, which is you pay. m are expensive. You pay to do this um, masters in clinic, clinical dentistry and then you get the ability to take this exam why do you use southern implants so many reasons but it's all about using site-specific implants to our advantage what does that mean we can reduce the indication for zygomatic implants with soft bone pterygoid implants which take five minutes to place and max implants into immediate molar sites to reduce cantilever i think the coaxis implants are incredible i agree did you know that 38 percent of southern implant sales are coaxis which means you're compromising 38 percent of the time if our system doesn't allow angle correction at implant level southern implants advanced range is such an advantage Now, the difference between a master's and an M-Clindent is really important. Some people go into a master's thinking it's going to make them either a specialist, which it's not, or a specialist level, which it's not, because a master's is an academic qualification. Mm -hmm. It teaches you how to do essays and learn theory. Mm -hmm. Some master's courses, as far as I'm aware, in implants, 
you will only do less than five implants. You are not a master of implants. You're a master of theory of implants at that stage. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas an M-Clindant will get you there. So M-Clindants are really cool because they're a, they're a way to become a specialist where maybe you didn't get into the NHS pathway. But also, it might be that um, you found an M-Clindant that is taught differently and doesn't come with the same uh, burdens as a registrar job would. Mm-hmm. I know you might know, not know this off the top of your head, but how much does an M-Clindant cost to do I believe it can be up to double what a master's costs. Mm-hmm. But I think it varies massively because the, the clinical exposure, the type of teaching, and also the type of procedures you're doing, mm-hmm. if you're helping a health board tick through endodontic cases, it's likely to be cheaper for you to do than doing uh, implant cases, mm-hmm. for example. It's a very rough example. But yeah, I think, I think the, fees massive, uh, the fees vary massively. Fair enough. Is it worth it? Rather than talking about the cost of these courses, I think we need to talk about the value of them. And it's a very different conversation and it's a very difficult question to answer because all of our circumstances are different. You and I have had conversations about courses because that's part of mentorship and also friendship. I talk to my friends about these things a lot as well. Good friends. (laughs) Yeah, 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 we're we're fine. Um, But... I think the first thing you have to do is to to map your future and see where you want to go and what you want to do. And then you have to map the steps to get there. But your current situation plays into that. So is it worth it? Well, if I want to if I'm dead set on doing implants, but I work in a practice where there's no implants and I have no chance of getting any implants, then I need my course to include lots of practical experience doing implants that's going to cost a lot more than doing an online implant qualification and then doing the practical on my patients with a mentor who is my friend who's not going to charge me. All of these things add up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think your current situation, your strengths and weaknesses and your plans for the future all need to come into this and then what you get out of it. Because Mm -hmm. if you do a course, you know, you you could do a, a day or two course, which it's unlikely to open doors for you on Monday morning, but it might enhance your skills. Whereas if you go do a year, it's going to allow you to do different things. And really the question is, are those things that you can do, are they going to open up pathways to you, your earning potential changing? Um, Are you going to enjoy what you do more? Are you going to get different jobs because of it? Mm -hmm. And so I think the value question is a very difficult one to answer as as a general question. Yeah, sorry, it was a bit mean from me there. <laughs> it's fair. So if I, right, I'm looking for a general course on, this is not me looking for a diploma or a certificate necessarily, but I'm wanting, let's say, I want to get better at composite bonding, for example. What would you say are the real key things to look for when I'm looking at sort of all these different courses that are available out there? So again, I'm sorry, I'm answering a question or the question, but it's it's not about what we, what I'd say to look out for. It would be about you being specific about what you want. So you want to get better at composite bonding. Does that mean your composite bonding is good and you want to take it to elite? Or are you doing no composite bonding and you want to start composite bonding? Or are you doing mm-hmm. composite bonding and seeing problems with your work? Mm-hmm. Um, are you in a practice where someone else is doing composite bonding? These are all actually quite relevant to, to mm-hmm. your question. I think one of the most underrated things 
is to reach out to courses. Firstly, define these things for yourself and then reach out to the courses. And often, you know, the, the best courses, the people are willing to, to have a chat with you because they don't want you coming on the course, not getting what you want out of it. And then talking badly about the course because it's it's word of mouth is how courses expand and survive. So um, there there is no perfect course. There's the right course for the right person at the right time. Mm-hmm. And also kind of, there was one piece of advice I was given that I think is really wrong, which is, oh, just do the biggest, best course you can do so you don't have to repeat the education. But the problem is you need to work up to those things. So for me, I'm really glad I did my diploma three years before I did my master's because I got so much more out of my master's. So mm-hmm. we talked about certificate to diploma to master's. It might be that you end up doing all three over time, and I don't think that's a waste at all. Mm-hmm. Just sort of spent spacing. Well, I definitely think that that spacing things out can have advantages because I think you always come out of a course, don't you? And you're like, oh, I've picked up everything. I'm going to start doing this and this. And inevitably, you do start doing some things, but you forget so so much of it. And actually, even doing a similar course again isn't a waste because there'll be other things that you then take from take from that, and you can start sort of cherry picking then what you like. And that critical appraisal that you sort of talked about a bit earlier and sort of being like, I like what they did there. Yes. This works for them, but it's not going to work in my practice here. So I'm probably going to do a bit more what I learned five years ago on this course with that. can be quite useful there. I mean, the, be- the best clinicians I've, I've met like internationally, I've been on courses where I'm the least experienced. So I uh, recently went on a full arch implant course in Portugal mm-hmm. and I was in the three least experienced um, clinicians there in terms of the numbers and the complexity of cases we're doing. And a few people had flown in from Australia and these guys had done thousands of full arch cases doing really complex stuff. And the beauty of that experience was realizing that they were really humble and they never stopped learning. And I think that applies to all of us. And if you feel like you wouldn't get something out of a course, then you need to retire because I think we can all keep learning and reflecting. And these amazing people that are doing amazing things is because they just don't stop learning. So there's no such thing as a waste really of time or money. It would be very rare. I mean, you'd be getting scammed if you went on a course and didn't get something out of it. Would you tend to recommend sort of a smaller course than a larger course? Or do you think it doesn't really matter if it's... That's a good question. You mean in terms of cohort numbers? Yeah. Um, I really think it depends what you're doing, you know. I think um, I think some courses you can just teach in bigger groups than others. It depends on what the techniques are, how they're being taught, and the facilities and whether it's been considered that it's a big group, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on... Some of the best courses I've been on have been a huge number of people, and some of the worst ones have been smaller numbers. So I don't think there's a correlation necessarily. Fair enough. Um and so you did the Portugal one, that's abroad. Yes, yes. Do you recommend doing courses abroad? I think some of the, I think we have to. I think there's a lot of dogma in, in every country probably, but in UK dentistry, there's a lot of dogma. And there's a, you know, let's be honest, our undergraduate teaching is aimed at the NHS. And it's not like that in other countries. I went to um, uh, an implant course at BTI in Spain a few years ago, and there were two fourth your Austrian dental students there who were placing implants as undergrads Mm -hmm. and they were on an advanced atrophic maxilla grafting course because 
they understood the stuff which it you know took years of postgrad to get there so i think culturally um and in terms of really finding really cool stuff that expands your mind i think it's worth going abroad what i always warn against is going on some kind of surgical course abroad where you're say especially for implants banging in implants with no real consideration for the theory or the treatment planning or the risk but I think there's plenty of UK courses, UK run, that go abroad and run their course under UK conditions. Uh, that's clinical courses. Mm -hmm. So it's important to make sure that what you do there is transferable. But the best of most courses in dentistry are abroad at the moment, definitely. Fair enough. I am very torn with the abroad courses. I think you're going to know exactly why. Yeah. And it's that environmental impact. I am um, gonna. So I'm very torn with courses abroad because of that environmental impact. I um, so there's a runner called Damien Hall. He's a green runner, and he sort of advocates for people. He's a very good runner, but he's like people shouldn't be doing these abroad races because you've got great races in the UK. Why are you putting in that CO2 impact just to go and run somewhere abroad? He's like, you know, you do them, but maybe pick, be like very specific about, you know, you're only going to do one every five years. So I think maybe there could be an element of, yes, some of these abroad courses are fantastic and there's a lot to learn there, but maybe we shouldn't be doing every single course abroad. I, I think that's fair. I think it depends on why you're going abroad. So, for example, go abroad if the only place you can learn this mm. technique is abroad. Um, but... I come back to one of the things that you've taught me here, which is that if you go abroad and you learn a technique, a skill, that means that your dentistry is a lot better, mm. then the environmental impact of your dentistry lasting yes. is going to be greater than that trip. And I think it's, it's a fair point you make. We all need to consider this more. You know, we, mm. the thing is, we've typically come to a point in dentistry where we're thinking, well, I could write off the tax for that trip. That's what most yes. people think of first. <laughs> but actually, you're right. Maybe we need to think about the sustainability of, of courses like that. But definitely, definitely go learn from the best everywhere. I do think that that's yeah. important. Maybe put some of the money from the tax write-off into, you know, maybe a little bit of paying off some of the CO2. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe you can uh, uh, put up a link for how you can calculate that. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's, there are there's websites um, available. Maybe I'll link one. I'll link one in the show notes. So uh, Guiltcalculator.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah. Um, last thing that I did want to ask you about is actually running a course. So you run a course so you you spoke earlier about potentially starting a new one yeah but you do also have another sort of course system under your belt ted do you want to talk about ted yeah so transformative education in dentistry <laughs> it's just that you know I, I love teaching and there's been opportunity to teach uh work with industry and provide courses that there are gaps in the market for and that's more because of the journey i've been on and knowing what i really struggled to learn and for me the biggest difficulty was getting the skill set between uh, simple and advanced implants and that means you know you can go on lots of courses to learn how to place an implant and you can go on lots of courses for full mouth implants but there's very little to just take you that one little step doing a bit of grafting or doing a bit of sinus work and that was kind of the thinking behind Ted but really 
it's really important to me that courses inspire because the best courses I've been on, they were very good technically, but they changed my world in, in different ways. And I just want to touch on those for a second, if that's okay, because I thought about this a lot. And I really, it was two big courses for me before I left general practice to go to implants. The first big one that changed everything for me was uh, Totally Composite with Monique Vasson. I, I just think he's such a generous educator and everyone probably knows him now. He's so successful in terms of the 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 number of composite uh, delegates that he's trained, and the number of people that he's responsible for for helping elevate um, is huge. But the biggest impact I don't do any composite work. I I did, I did quite a bit of posterior composite work. I was never great with the anterior aesthetics. You know, people around us like Austin and Sid are doing incredible work, but. Um, and even Rodri down the road, you know, th this is world-class composite work we have around us. But for me, the really big thing that I learned from Monik's course was standards. Mm -hmm. And when I came back from Monik's course, I used rubber dam for every single procedure. And, you know, there's there's a lot of these little things that you you realize that, that all these little things add up. And I'm really thankful uh, to Monik for that. So that's uh, not just a shout out for his course. It's a shout out for courses that, that teach you mindset and habits and inspire you and people who help celebrate you know we talked about awards but um, Monik gets in touch when when you're nominated or you win an award to just tell you he's proud that his alumni are doing this and you don't see it publicly because he's not doing it for the um the kudos from the public he's genuinely take he's giving you a piece of his soul when you go on his course he's he's not holding back and that's what a course should be and these kinds of educators really inspired me everything we have in the practice that is made by WNH. Off the top of my head, my implant motor, the piezomed module that attaches to it, my implant hand pieces, all of our speed increasing and turbine hand pieces, as well as our sterilizing equipment. It's really nice kit that looks really sleek. I assume you chose it to match the aesthetics of the practice. That's a lovely added bonus, but actually WNH is an Austrian company known for high quality instruments and optimal hygiene. Studies show that patients care most about hygiene, so it was a no-brainer. I guess Caroline and the whole UK team being so supportive is another added bonus. Absolutely, they provide incredible support. They don't sell direct to dental practices. We buy their kit through dental suppliers, so they provide great support without ever selling. That's true support. Because the second one is Advanced Center of Excellence, ACE courses. Um, so that's uh, Kushal, Victor, and Rahul run these courses. And they have a number of courses, everything from uh, toothware to implant stuff. They're very active. I think they now have courses taught by others as well. But their implant journey course, I was on the very first implant journey course. And there are still techniques I use that I learned there. But that course made me realize I wanted to do implants full time. And so what I wanted to say is, these longer courses that last, there's there's a number of courses. You can do CPD that ticks a box, you know, you have to mm. do um, whatever it is. You know, I don't want to belittle any of the things that are important, but there are some of them that are just like compliant stuff. Great. Tick the box. The longer courses will change your clinical practice. But the thing about a day or two days is it has the ability to both give you some skills, but really change your mindset and inspire you. And I think that's what made me want to 
run a course. Fair enough. So is there an element of, you know, making sure the person whose course you're going to sort of, there is a little bit of, you want someone who's actually going to be that good teacher in some ways. That is something to look out for. Absolutely. Because sometimes we're looking at someone's quality clinically. I mean, you and I, we're not going to name the course, but you and I have been taught by people who are amazing at what they do, mm-hmm. but not the greatest teachers. And a really good teacher not only tries to understand what you need mm-hmm. to get out of that course, but also tries to teach it to you in a way that works for you, that helps you understand it. And so being really good clinically is one skill. Being a really good teacher is another skill. And dental courses that are top quality are really hard to find because you need to combine those two things. Mm. And you can't be good at everything. Yes. I think it's this common thing now almost. There's that career pathway, isn't there? You're like, oh, I get so good at this and then I I go and teach it. Um, And it's not necessarily... You aren't necessarily the best teacher. What's just that? Because a- you're a- B, C, T. Align, <laughs> bleach, composite, teach. teach yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, it's not it's not a rite of passage. And mm. be, being involved in teaching doesn't make you a good clinician. And being a great clinician doesn't make you a good teacher. And actually, you know, there is plenty of room for people who aren't the best clinician to be in teaching because there's things like undergrad teaching as well, mm. which you need to inspire and teach. And you don't have to be doing world-class composites or soft tissue grafts to be doing that. Mm. Do you, and this is a little bit rogue, this question now, do you think that undergrad schools should be getting more of some of these very good teachers in to teach the odd, I don't know, lecturing things to students? 100%. I mean, the most inspiring people I was taught by in dental school were people who don't work at the dental school, <laughs> who were just visiting. <clears throat> don't get me wrong, I think we had, we actually had some really good teachers, but... The fact is, like, you need diversity in teaching. You need people who are the best of the best in whatever, mm-hmm. in business, in composite, in endo, and people who are doing real-life stuff every day. I think there's so much value in it. Um, I think it would make sense. I don't know if you agree, but for dental schools to make it easy for the best to come in and be part of the teaching, um, I know lots of people who would love to be involved, but it's not worth the hustle, the time, the stress mm. of the way the universities are organised. So I've got a couple of questions from our listeners. Um, first one that messaged in is, what has been your favourite course ever? Oh, wow. Favourite is a big word. I've named two of the ones that really changed my life. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, um, it actually doesn't matter what the two courses are that I went on, right? But my favourite courses, I went on two courses with Aston might have been a couple of years ago now Mm -hmm. and they were very good courses don't get me wrong we picked them because they were good but I had the best time and I think Aston would say the same we 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 booked really good restaurants we went together we had a really good time and I think the whole experience um was really cool and it's why (laughs) um the advice I gave you earlier in the year was whichever course you choose try to go with a friend and making experience out of it rather than just have to get through. I'm alone, I'm going to have dinner, get an early mm-hmm. night, you know. Um, did you think that was good advice? It was great advice. I had a, a very, well, it was a fantastic course. Um, Where did you go? It was it was in Prague, so I broke my rule, it was abroad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but it's because 
oh, it's because they, they, you, there just isn't anyone sort of doing, I think, the same thing here. So it was um, with, yeah, Maxim um, Belagrad, it's the Belagrad Academy. Um, and it was, yeah, it was all on preps. So we were doing sort of um, veneer preps and on lay preps, um, but under microscopes. So it was amazing as well, having that time to really use that, the microscope equipment. And even if you're not sort of using that day to day, being able to actually see your work in that detail really does make you sort of appreciate the sort of those small hand movements that you're doing and actually that they are sort of sometimes even through your loops you're not quite seeing that but under the microscope you're like oh my gosh um gosh (laughs) oh my gosh um yeah you can so that was fantastic I went with um yeah Dr Hannah Crow um and we had a yeah fab time fab food lots of sightseeing as well how much of the experience do you think was down to you going with a friend and taking a couple of days to do some sightseeing afterwards I well yeah I think it all again yeah it all, all went into it I think if I'd gone on my own it still is a fantastic course and there was a lot I would have taken out of it but yeah having it as part of a holiday as well it does yeah. make it um it makes it that little bit more special and um and fun and memorable so that's my that's why that's my biggest advice because also you've got mm-hmm. a friend to bounce things off of yeah definitely um, another question from the audience. Um, how many hours would you sort of recommend sort of putting aside for courses in a year? This is separate from what the GDC. Yeah, I, I would completely ignore targets. <laughs> um, I think if you're doing 10 hours in a year. Doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, you just kind of, so here, here's how I would do it, right? And this is what I did for the first. I still do it sometimes now, but less. But. Um, for the first few years I was in dentistry, I still like to know what I have in the next day. Mm-hmm. Our practice sends out day lists to all clinicians the day before. I like to know. Some people don't want to know. I like to know. I would get a day list the day before and I'd look at what procedures I had in. And for the first few years, and when I say few years, maybe first four or five years, I would go on tubules and I would watch a video related to every procedure I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it's all included there, right? And so if I'm doing crown prep, I'd watch a crown prep talk. And if I've watched all the crown prep talks, which there's enough to keep watching, I might watch something on YouTube instead, which you don't get CPD for. So forget the verifiable hours. But then what you start to see is you're like, oh, I can see really deep carries on this radiograph. I'm going to book them in for, let's say you're doing a a composite, okay? Mm. Um, Then I would watch videos on composites, but I'd also watch videos on dealing with soft tissues. I'd be like, oh, maybe I need to do an onlay here. Oh, how do I do a gingivectomy in that area? And what happens is if you do, you're basically doing case-based learning if you do it that way, you can do an unlimited amount and it doesn't feel like a burden because essentially you're mapping it to what's there in front of you. And it's a really nice way to learn. And I think that then that extends into looking up papers and things. Mm. And I think that's still how we kind of think. Mm. Um, So... I wouldn't put a number on it. I'd start to incorporate it into your workflow so that it just becomes part of every day. Uh, well, thank you for all of that, Ali. It was great to talk to you. Um, and tune in next week to Pearls. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Pearls, Two Generations in Dentistry. We hope you found our insights valuable and our stories engaging. Remember, we're here every week with new pearls of wisdom. 
We'd love to hear from you. Any feedback or suggestions for future topics, head to our Instagram, at Pearl's Dental Podcast. Join the conversation and let's keep elevating the world of dentistry together. Until next time, this is Pearl's Two Generations in Dentistry, your go-to weekly dental podcast. This podcast is produced by Dr. Flo King.